Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. This is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth, and we're pleased to once again have with us Denise Logan in Chasing What Matters. Denise is a specialist in helping practice sellers navigate challenges uh, that they'll incur as they consider transitioning their practices to new ownership. Denise, we're uh, pleased to have you with us today. Oh, it's nice to be with you, Bob. Denise, our topic for today is dealing with buyers and I will tell you that there are many dental practices that on a regular basis are being solicited by practice buyers. They could be DSOs, dental service organizations, uh, other practice owners, maybe associate dentists and many dental practice brokerage companies. You and I are on the same page when it comes to one important issue about dealing with buyers, and that is the the subject of openness and transparency and vulnerability that leads to trust in a deal. What are your thoughts about concealing information on a in a practice uh, transition project? Oh, holy cow! It's never good to conceal information. You know, if we go back to the 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 analogy of our brain, what goes on in our brain when we're concealing information is that remember our friend the lizard brain that we talked about earlier? Whenever we are hiding information, we will trip off our own fear sensor, both as the person who is concealing information and you're also tripping it off in the minds of the other people around you. Think about it. Have you ever been in that situation? Any listener who has a dog will recognize this, that there's a sound and the dog hears it. And then they kind of tilt their head like they tilt their head back and forth. That's because their brain is trying to figure out that's not right. What is that? That's the exact same thing that goes on when there's deception in a transaction. So if you've ever thought of this, and I've seen it many times in my life, there might be an owner who is selling because of illness, but doesn't want anyone to know that the reason they're selling is because of an illness. They will make up some squirrely answer about why they're selling, and no one believes it. But what it does is in that moment, when there is deception or a lack of transparency, everyone else's fear sensor is up. That's what trips off a whole lot of emotion. So if we think about it, you know, the little metaphor that I have using your hand, and hopefully your listeners can get this as they're listening. Just take your hand and tuck your thumb across your palm 
and bring your fingers over the top. You're making like a little fist with your thumb inside. One of my clients referred to that as a girly fist because no man would put his thumb inside a fist. So what we've got there is the thumb tucked inside is the fear sensor. That's our little friend, the lizard brain, the amygdala. And the fingers that are over the front, that's the prefrontal cortex. That's the thinking part of our brain. If you move that thumb around inside there, what you'll notice is that the fingers aren't on so tight. That means that as fear is starting to arise, your thinking brain is less able to think well. And if you move that thumb aggressively enough, you will flip your lid. You literally pop your fingers open. As much as we can do to help calm the fear that's going on in any transaction, we will keep more of our thinking brain online. That helps to keep deals from going sideways. So I feel really strongly about transparency and vulnerability, and vulnerability not as in leaving you open to attack, but being really clear. You know, Bob, you and I have seen this plenty of times. There will be a practice owner who says, I don't want my team to know that I'm selling. Oh, for heaven's sake. Your team knows everything that's going on. All of a sudden, you're having a secret meeting in the conference room. You don't think they know what's going on. Your team knows. The more transparent you can be, the safer you create, the, the more safety you create, and the easier your transaction will go, both with your team, with your advisors, and with whether you're the buyer or the seller with the other party in the transaction. No one likes being lied to. Well, you know, I I have experienced, and I imagine you've seen in other places where sellers, when they do want to maybe not be as transparent on some things as they, they should, when the buyers discover these gray areas, wow, it's it certainly sends off bad signals. And, and then you get the, the buyers are thinking, well, if I can't trust the seller on this one matter, what else are they hiding? Absolutely. So one way that we've addressed this is anything that I can find that's a question, I simply ask the question as if I was a buyer and I ask the seller to respond to it. And when we do our establishing, establishing most probable selling price for a practice, we put those questions right on that report and put the seller's answers on those questions because we don't want any stone left unturned. It just makes sense. No one wants to have their deal unwound at the last minute because of something that could and should have been shared. Exactly. Well, on this topic of dealing with buyers today, there's uh, one important item that has to do with buyers and sellers, but it, it really impacts buyers' ability to uh, work with uh, practice sellers, which should be important to practice sellers. And that is, as a real estate broker myself, I can tell you that people generally take a dim view of dual representation. Likewise, in practice brokerage, many people view, view dual representation as an unethical practice. What are your views on dual representation in dental practice brokerage? You know, I think one of the things that's most important as an owner, especially as a seller, is to, or even as a buyer, is you want to be able to see as many options as you can. Why would you not want to see all of the practices as a buyer? 
for all of the buyers and the seller. I wouldn't like it if I was only in the situation of having some hand-selected party. How do you know you're getting the best representation and the best process that you can? You only have one time to sell your business. Why would you not want to sell it for all of the reasons that make the best fit for you? Well, now you've got a, a legal background as well. And I imagine there have been times when in a law firm, uh, somebody calls up and say, hey, can you represent me? And maybe that law firm is representing somebody on the other side of a, of a deal or an issue. And what, what sort of, uh, what are your thoughts about someone who is uh, the, the whole idea of representing somebody's best interests or the ability of a dual agent to represent somebody's best interests? I think it's important to be able to have good counsel and whether that counsel is coming from your broker, from your attorney, from your all of the advisors who are supporting you, I think it's useful to have multiple views and input for you. Great. Well, uh, this leads us to our next question about dealing with buyers. How can managing buyers' expectations and identifying buyers' emotions and motivations impact the deal? You know, we talk a lot about it with sellers, but how can that impact the deal, you know, in identifying motivations and emotions with, with the buyers. Oh my goodness. Everyone's emotions are up in the midst of a transaction, every single person. So buyer and seller, I think it's important. You know, I was involved in a transaction, uh, the sale of a practice where the buyer had tried to purchase a previous practice and learned at the last minute that it was being sold to someone else. You know, that poor buyer came into the process with a whole bunch of, of fear and expectations. Anytime we can create emotional safety in the transaction by allowing everyone to share what's going on and making it safe, you know, I always say disappointment is a sign of unmet expectations, but typically those expectations were ones that were never articulated. Unarticulated expectations always lead to disappointment because if we can share what we're expecting and be able to be open about it, then we make what's called a meeting of the mind. I can't know what's in your mind if we don't share it. So when I'm involved in a process, I'm always looking to create an environment where everyone's emotion is welcome, right? Sometimes I hear someone say, we want to leave emotion out of this. Well, I'm sorry, friends. Emotion is always there. So how about if instead we're able to acknowledge that emotion is in the room and be able to address what just scared someone? You know, we go back to our little hand metaphor that I used earlier. Fear shows up for us in one of five ways. So if you open your hand, you'll see you have five, a lot of a thumb and four fingers. So fear shows up as fight, flight, freeze, fawn, F-A-W-N, and submit. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and submit. You know, we'll use all of those at different times. And if you imagine, right, we know what fight looks like. That's a lot of anger. You got your dukes up. And flight, that's when someone wants to pull away. They stop returning your calls. 
How about freeze? That's when someone starts slowing down the process. They're scared. Fawn. In a transaction, fawn looks like overpromising. Yep, I'll totally get those documents. Yep, I will. Or giving in too much. And submit. For anyone who has ever had a teenager in your house, you know submit. Fine. Whatever. These play out. These are signs of fear. And when our friend the amygdala gets tripped, we're likely to see these show up. We'll use two or three of these as our go-to approach. I think it's important, and in every transaction where I'm involved, I want all the parties to be able to know how they show up. So for me, for example, I when I'm scared or a little bit anxious, it shows up as freeze, fawn, flight. So once you know that about me, you can actually see it happen. I'll slow things down. I'm probably going to overpromise, and then I'm out of there. I will get to fight or submit, but only if I can't get away. If you know that about me, we are tripping each other's emotions all the time. Think about that argument that you have with your spouse That moment where it's like, why didn't you put the mustard back on the second shelf, Bob? (laughs) Don't we all know it's not about the mustard? It's about whether or not your wife feels respected or acknowledged or those things. The same thing is happening in every transaction. So if we can understand how each of the parties shows up with fear, I know that if you get really big and angry, I'm probably going to feel like I want to freeze. So we know how to navigate these because for someone who fawning is their approach, they're going to give a whole lot of things up front. And then when they get away, they're going to want to take those back. And that can create conflict within a transaction. Instead, if we understand that emotion is present and you know that about me, when I start to fawn, instead of, yes, take more from me, you'll say, wait, what just happened? How can we pause the process to deal with the emotion that's in the room instead of just pushing past it? That's part of how we can create safety with buyers and sellers and recognize that all of the advisors in the room, their emotion is in play too. It's the reason why the lawyer does the parade of horribles because they're afraid of missing something. Got it. In our last topic, uh, we've got a couple minutes left here on buyers. The uh, There's often concern about a buyer being a good fit. You know, there's the practical aspect of it. Does, does the buyer uh, provide the same procedures uh, that the seller does? But then there's the uh, the personal part of it. Is, is there going to be a good fit with the staff? Is there going to be a good fit with the patients? Um, and then there's always concern about finding a good fit. And we know from experience that it's more difficult, more challenging for a practice seller to find a buyer for their practice if they're located in a, a rural city, more so than say a metropolitan area. So what if a seller cannot find a buyer that's a perfect fit? And should a seller be, how flexible should a seller be in, in uh, accepting a buyer? What I always say is not all money is equal. So instead of thinking, I have to get the top dollar, which money matters. Don't get me wrong. Of course, it matters how much you get. But understanding what makes fit. 
because fit sometimes is just about the economics and perhaps you're the practice seller who doesn't really care about what happens to your staff or your patients. That might be true for some. And for some, it actually matters greatly whether or not the uh, office, the way they've set it up, will remain in place. Will my sign remain out front? Will the name change? Those are things that can all matter about fit. I think it's really understanding which of those are the most important characteristics. Is it money? Is it about my staff? Is it about my patients? Is it I'm going to stay on and so I need to be able to work with this person? I think those are all elements in determining fit. Excellent. Denise, thanks so much for sharing with us today. Could you please share your contact information in case our listeners would like to get in touch with you? Of course. My website is denise.logan.com. You can email me anytime at denise at denise.logan.com. And the things that we talked about around emotion are outlined in the book, The Seller's Journey, which is also available on my website or by Kindle and Audible on Amazon. Thanks, Denise. We'll catch you next time on Long in the Tooth.